We're going to be continuing our Jesus 101 series because we're talking about Jesus today, if that's all right. We're talking about Jesus. So I found it uh, interesting. I'm sure you guys have too over the last several years with the rise of the internet and what we have like social media influencers. How many of you guys have your favorite YouTuber or something like that who out of their basement have made millions of followers out of people somehow? We don't even know. Some of them uh, may be artists or they may be athletes or they may be, uh, you know, just an actor or something like that. Uh, Somebody who just found their 15 minutes of fame and they capitalized on it and now they have these, you know, thousands upon thousands of followers and they found a way to monetize it. And here we live in this strange, crazy world where anybody uh, can have influence. And out of all of those influencers, what I find interesting about that is now we have access to all the world through just a click or just plugging in, just jumping online on the internet. And out of all those, even those who have even millions of followers, what's interesting to me is they estimate that Jesus has 2.4 billion followers on the planet. That's a lot, right? That dwarfs any other influencer alive today. Why is that significant? It's significant because Jesus didn't walk the planet, but it was 2,000 years ago that he walked the planet, and yet he still has influence today. And in fact, his influence is still increasing, and the people who follow Jesus aren't just, uh, just consuming content, but they actually believe and worship Jesus as God. Now, that's pretty significant that one out of three on the planet do that. And most likely all of these influencers of today, in 100 years, most people won't even know their name. And yet Jesus continues to grow in influence. Why is that? How is that possible? If, it was just, if he was just another person, it, it wouldn't have happened. If he was just another martyr, that would not even make sense how that would happen because martyrs have, have come and gone and lost their influence over the ages rather than increase their influence. But what's the difference? The difference is something unique happened. Something different, something wild happened. What was it? Well, Paul details it, and I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert. Jesus rose from the dead, okay? That's the spoiler alert to the whole day. But here's, here's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. How many of you guys are thankful that Jesus died in your place for your sins, Right? That's, that, that's the foundation that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. This wasn't just something that was an idea. This literally happened. That's what Paul is saying, that this was a man who was alive. He died. He was in a tomb, but then he came out of a tomb. Like, it actually happened. This isn't just a fairy tale. This is something that he's documenting as happening. And on top of that, he appeared to some people afterwards who uh, corroborated the story, and it, he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive as he was writing that, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, uh, he appeared also to me. What I believe, sincerely, I sincerely believe this, that who you believe Jesus to be sets the course of your life. If you believe Jesus to be insignificant, irrelevant, just a made-up thing, then it is set, it's actually setting the course of your life in some direction. But if you believe Jesus to be who he, who he says he is, the one who is God in the flesh, died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose from the dead, that ought to set the course of your life. And who you believe him to be actually does set the course of your life. So 
The question, though, is how could this guy who was born in this obscure little town in, in the, uh, the Middle East in, in a different time, how could he have all this influence? It's because something happened. How could this guy become the most influential person ever in history? It's because something had to happen out of the ordinary. Something changed. Something happens. What gives us relevance for this to uh, give us relevance today is because Jesus claimed to be God. And then he backed it up by raising from the dead. You can't, I'm telling you, you can't just have a mild reaction to that. Because if you're going to claim to be God, you better back it up or everybody's going to think you're crazy. But if you back it up by rising from the dead, how many of you guys know you kind of have your stamp of approval on that one right there, right? I mean, if you're like, I'm God, die and raise from the dead, you've kind of backed up your claim right there. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Because all of the other founders of religions, guess what? You go to their tomb, what are you going to find? They're occupied, right? You go there, you find, there's yep, somebody's home, right? But you go to Jesus, what, what do you see in Jesus' tomb? Empty, right? And that's what we celebrate today. That's what's different. Does this matter, though? Can we follow Jesus without him raising from the dead? Well, Paul says something about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16. If we go on down a little bit, it says, For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So he's implying here that the resurrection, it's not just the death on the cross that's part of our salvation, but it's actually the resurrection, uh, the defeating of death, hell, and the grave, and sin through the resurrection that brings to completion even the salvation of our sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What he's saying here is that, that there's something that we gain through the, through the resurrection that we can't have without it. What are some of those things? Well, when the resurrection happened, it opened up the door to some things. It opened up the door to not just temporal things, temporal ideas. It opened up the door to some eternal things that you and I get to participate in. So what are some of those things? What are some of those things that last forever? Well, Paul wrote about them. If we back up in a couple chapters, in the chapter we know as the love chapter, at the very end of that, he says this in verse 13. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And so I believe that the resurrection calls us deeper into these things that last forever, deeper into these eternal things. So number one, the resurrection calls us into a deeper faith. And I don't believe it's just a deeper faith to try to believe better or to believe that the resurrection actually happened, although we do want to be into a deeper faith there. I believe it's calling us into a deeper faith because it's a whole new way of living that he offers us. That the resurrection, it's like offers us a new way to look at life. It's, it's available once you cross that line into faith to go into a deeper faith. And maybe if you're here today and you have been following Jesus for some time and you've entered into this life, I, I have no doubt that there are some of you who stepped into this and yet you find yourself somehow still disappointed, secretly disappointed, that maybe it's not all that you thought it would be. And if that's you, I just want to challenge you. Maybe it's because we still have our mind set on the things of this earth instead of these eternal things. So you can step into following Jesus, but there's a deeper place to go 
There's a deeper place that the resurrection calls us into. And it calls us not just to think about temporal things, but calls us to think about these eternal things. It calls us to think about a new way of living. See, maybe, maybe for some of us, you've entered into a new life, but you're living in the wrong time zone. What do I mean by that? Well, recently I had an opportunity to talk to somebody that I hadn't talked to in a, I don't know, a week and a half or so. And um, the internet connection was a little bit choppy, but I think you'll find this point very powerfully, very powerful how we can enter into a deeper level of faith and how we do that. So let's take a look. All right, I'm here with my brother Jake, who is halfway across the world. A few weeks ago, we sent them off and prayed for them. So they're somewhere across the world in an undisclosed location, uh, going through some uh, quarantine stuff. So how long did it take you guys to get over there? It took us over 24 hours once we left the United States. Wow. It's a long flight. Yeah. Did you guys have like jet lag when you got there? You know, the flight seemed easy, but once we landed and got settled, then you get really tired and, you know, sleep hard and then wake up at 2 a.m. and it's, it's really confusing. So, like, what are some of the things you guys had to do to prepare to get over there? I mean, like, just going from one culture to the next. Well, we did a lot of things. Um, we made a big move. So we, we got rid of all of our old stuff, all of our old clothing, and we started wearing clothing that was gonna be appropriate for where we're moving to. So um, we did that. We actually, a week before we left, we started living out of our suitcase, just so we knew that we had everything and we were comfortable with it. Uh, I started, carrying the documents that I needed around with me a week before I needed them. So I wasn't putting everything together last minute. And so I just knew that I had everything and uh, started eating the food. We started using the language. We did several things before we left. Cool. So it is like dark here where I'm at. It's 8.51 in the evening. What time is it where you're at? It's 8.51 a.m. Okay. So you guys are ahead. So it, this is Friday we're, night. We're in the future. Yeah, you're yeah, in the this future. Is... Saturday morning for you. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, so if I wanted to travel where you are at, if I want, like even research says that if I want to avoid jet lag and all that type of stuff, what I need to do is go ahead and set my clock, at least mentally, to what your time is and to start living that way. Did you guys do that? Yeah, the second we got on an airplane, even though we're 24 hours away and we're still in the United States, we set our clock forward and it's, you know, if it was uh, 8 p.m. there, then it's 8 a.m. in our minds and we start trying to figure out what's supper, what's breakfast and start acclimating ourselves mentally to our sleep and eating and everything. So you start living there before you're living there, basically. So basically what faith is, and this is my point in all of it, the resurrection opened up uh, the, a new way for us to live so that if we want to live by faith now, what we do is we set our clocks by the time zone that we're going into. And so that's the kingdom of heaven. That's the, the future from our perspective, but we start to live in that reality now. So just like you guys prepared and you, you started learning a new language, you started to uh, carry different things and lose different things. You started to prepare as if you were there. And so from our perspective, if we wanted to prepare for where you're at, then we have to start living as if it's morning, even though it's night here. We have to start living that way. So that's what faith does. Faith is living in the time zone of where you're going. And you guys are just, this is an awesome example of that. So, hey, before we get off here, would you guys pray, would you pray a yeah. blessing over us? 
Yes, I would. I appreciate it. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. You know, I, in the last year, have personally got to know so many people in the church and see their hearts, and uh, I can see, you know, a congregation that is just ready to be obedient, ready to live in faith, and ready to go forward and do the work that you have, and I pray a blessing over Journey Church and all its members, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Love you guys. We'll see ya. Hey, it was fun to talk to my brother there, uh, but you guys get the point, that we now set our clocks by a different time zone. That even though it's dark here, even though you experience things here right now, what we are called to do, the resurrection opens up a door, opened up the door for eternity, opened up the door for us to live and to set our internal clock by a new time zone. For us to start living like the place we're going. That's what the resurrection opened up, a deeper faith. It also opened up a deeper hope. It calls us into a deeper hope. You see, the thing about the resurrection is that it told us that it's possible for graveyards to turn into birthplaces. And some of us are facing some of those dark things. Some of us are facing maybe what looks like a tomb in our life. But you realize that the, the resurrection paints a picture for us that a tomb can also be a place of a miracle. Some of you right now need to get that hope rising up in your spirit because you're looking at something that looks like a place of death. You're looking at something that looks like a tomb. You're looking at something that looks like a symbol of death. But how many of you guys know that when we go to Jesus's tomb, you know what? It's no longer a symbol of death, but it's a symbol of life. And that's what Jesus can do for you. That's what Jesus does is he takes dead things and he makes them alive. And some people say that the resurrection of Jesus was like the biggest plot twist in all of history. Like no one saw it coming, right? But here's what I want you, and, and let me just say, how many of you guys have ever been watching a movie with somebody who doesn't pay attention very much, and they get to like halfway into the movie, and then the plot twist happens, and they're like, wait a minute, that's the guy? That guy was the bad guy all along, and he was in that room, and he, how many of you guys are that, like, you're married to that? Okay, um, just trying to see who we're talking to here. See, some people think that the resurrection was the greatest plot twist in all of history, but here's what I want you to understand. The resurrection was not a plot twist to Jesus. He knew it was coming all along. In fact, he said it multiple times, three days, three days, three days. The resurrection was not a plot twist to Jesus. Why? Because he was plugged into a different time zone. Because his clock was set by the Father's clock. So Jesus gets in a boat one day, and he's going across the sea, and his disciples are with him, and a storm happens, and the disciples are freaking out, and Jesus is asleep. How could Jesus sleep in the storm? Because Jesus knew the boat wasn't going down. How did Jesus know the boat wasn't going down? Because Jesus had an appointment with a cross. Jesus had an appointment with a tomb. He had an appointment with a stone being rolled away. He had an appointment with some ladies in the garden. He had an appointment with Thomas to show him his wounds. He had an appointment with the 500. He had an appointment that he had to keep. Why? Because the resurrection was not a plot twist for Jesus. Because he had set his clock by the Father's clock. 
And that caught, how many of you guys know that when you're in a boat and a storm is happening, but you know the boat is not going down because you've got an appointment. How many of you guys know that you have appointments from God? You have destiny on yourself. You have a calling from God. And you may be in a storm right now, but here's what the resurrection opens up for you. It opens up a brand new hope because the resurrection offers this idea that it, you don't have to be scared by plot twists that seem to derail things because you have an appointment with God's purposes and plans for you. Your life as well. That's the kind of hope that God brings through the resurrection. And some people say that the resurrection is like the most powerful moment in all of history. Pastor Aaron and I were talking about this this week and that it was the most powerful moment, not just because a person who was dead needed to be made alive. I mean, that takes some power, right? But also because no doubt, because the enemy had to be working all of its angles, all of its energy to try to stop this thing from happening. And so the fact that the resurrection happened when all of hell and all of the enemy was trying to stop it, yet it still happens, makes it the most powerful moment in all of history. And then something amazing happens for those of us who are found in Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What is he saying? That power that happened in the most powerful moment of history, now that you're in Christ, now it has the possibility of living in you, working through you. Come on, somebody ought to get some hope on the inside of you. That your tomb is no longer going to be a symbol of death, but a symbol of life because Jesus changes everything. You need to get that in your spirit, that Jesus changes everything. And somebody needs to hear this, so take a walk. Sunday changes everything. The stone has been rolled away. The women have received a message. The soldiers have retreated in fear. The disciples have run to the tomb. Sunday changes everything. Doubts are put in their place. Miracles are performed. The disciples eat breakfast made by the king. Jesus is on the loose. And because Jesus is on the loose, death is conquered. Funeral clothes are cast aside. Light shines forth from the tomb. Hope crushes fear. Faith conquers doubt. Belief moves mountains. Relationship consumes religion. God's love wins. Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus is on the loose, your tears are wiped away. Your sin is washed away. Your life will never be the same. Jesus changes everything. And because Jesus changes everything, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus changes everything. Come on, somebody give Jesus some praise right now. I love that Jesus is on the loose. He's on the loose. So the resurrection calls us into a deeper faith, a deeper hope, but it also calls us into a deeper love. Not just a photo op, 15 minutes of fame type love where I'm gonna you know, be here as long as things are good and I'll bail if things are bad. No, this is like an everlasting love, an eternal love. Remember, resurrection opened up eternal things. So it opens up this eternal love. It's hard to comprehend sometimes how deep it is. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 28 says, so Christ 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So we have what Jesus has done on the cross and what Jesus will do. And this is such a deep concept for us to try to wrap our minds around, like how can one man take care of all the sins in the world? I mean, that doesn't even make logical sense how one man can take all of the sins. If you try to scale that out and all the sins put on, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like he could take care of all of that. But that's just assuming that he's just man. But Jesus was fully man and fully God. And how many of you guys know that God, the value of God is incalculable. It's, it's worth more than all of the human race combined so that when God lays down his life to pay for the sins of the world, how many of you guys know that's more than enough, right? And there, there's, there's ways for us to try to comprehend how deep this forgiveness is, how deep this love is. And one way is to try to think of the worst thing that someone's ever done to you. Not to ruin your day. But if you try to think of the worst thing that somebody's ever done to you and think, think about how hard it was for you to try to forgive them, that's one way to try to comprehend in, a, in the very smallest way how much love God has for you. Another way is to think about the worst thing that you've ever done to someone else. And then think about how hard it was for them to forgive you. You can kind of start to understand some of the depth of God's love but the amazing thing is, is that God forgave you. Jesus forgives us of the very worst thing that we have ever done to anyone else. But he doesn't just stop there. He actually takes our place as if he did that worst thing. And he does that for all humanity. That's an amazing, deep love. But it goes even deeper with God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? There's a line in there that sometimes it's easy for us to misread. And let me just read it for you. It says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We're tempted to read that this way, that God has an inheritance for us. But that's not what it says. But let me read it again. It says, what, is, it says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? It's not our inheritance from God. But what it's saying is that it's his, it's God's inheritance in the saints. It's us being an inheritance for God. Here's what I want you to understand, that God has everything that he needs, right? He has everything that he needs. But he somehow he's created this spot that he has everything that he needs in eternity except for you, except for me. And that when we surrender our heart to him, we become an inheritance for God, that he loves us, he values us, he treasures us. That much. Not only does he release us off the hook, but he values us so much that he's created somehow a place that he almost needs us in eternity, that we become an inheritance for him. How do you guys know that's a crazy deep type of love that he has for you? And so as we wrap up, I'm gonna have the worship team come up, but I'm gonna say some important things here at the end that I don't want you to miss as they do. Again, what makes all of this relevant? He's fully human, fully God. 
And this fully human, fully God died on the cross, rose from the dead, now gives us a choice. He says, will you follow me? Will you set your clock by the clock in heaven? Will you follow me? What will you do? Every single person here has to answer this question, what will I do with Jesus? What will I do with Jesus? C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we may note in passing that he was never regarded as a mere moral teacher. He did not produce that effect in any of the people who actually met him. He produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. What's that saying? Logically, it doesn't make sense for anyone to have mild approval or mild regard for Jesus. The reason it doesn't make logical sense is because he claimed to be God. So if he claimed to be God and he wasn't God, then he's a liar. And there's not one person who should have a mild, if, if that were true, if he, if he claimed to be God and he wasn't and he was a liar, we shouldn't regard him as a good person. We should regard him as a fraud. So it doesn't make sense to regard him in a mild way. We should, we should you know, hold him at, at outstretched arms. But neither does it make sense that if he truly died and rose from the dead and he claimed to be God and it turns out he rose from the dead, there's not any logical person here who could have a mild response to that. Because that changes everything. That literally changes everything. And so we are all called, every single person is called here to a choice with what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? See, on Easter, a lot of times we'll see a cross because that's a symbol of what Jesus did for us. But most of us know, many of us know that there wasn't just one cross, there were actually three crosses. Jesus was hanging on the cross in the middle, but there was people on both sides. It says in Luke chapter 23, verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged with him said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So one started to, there was a criminal on one side of Jesus as he was dying on the cross begins to mock him. And there was another guy on the other side who rebuked that guy and said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed just, justly, for we're receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There was not just one cross, there were three crosses. There were two options, but there was one way. And the criminal who said, remember me, what was he doing? He was setting his clock by a different time zone. He was setting his clock by a different culture. He was setting his clock by a different way. And Jesus said, you'll be with me. You'll be with me. You know, one of the biggest lies of Satan is that somehow before we set that clock, we have to somehow clean ourselves up and become good people to be able to enter into the God's presence. But that's, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Jesus loves us so much that he comes right where you are right in the darkness, right in the sin, right in the pain, right in the despair, right even into the, a life. Some of you may be experiencing life is just fine, but he comes right into that hollow place that you know is there that you try to avoid. And he comes right into that moment, just where you are. 
But what I love about Jesus is that he loves us too much to leave us where we are. And he calls us out of darkness into light. He calls us out of death into life. He calls us out of pain into wholeness. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. So there, were, there was a, a lame beggar at the gate, a gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter three, and every day he'd be put up at the gate and he would have to beg for money because he couldn't work, he couldn't earn money. And so I'm sure he prayed every single day, God, let somebody put money into my hands. And every day he would go to the gate, go to the same gate, let somebody put money in my hand. And then one day his prayer wasn't answered. One day, his prayer wasn't answered because somebody came to him and said, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we will give you, rise up and walk. And that man was restored completely to health. Here's what I'm saying. If that man's prayer would have been answered, he would have needed the same prayer to be answered again the next day. And if that prayer was answered again, he'd need the same prayer to be answered again the next day. Sometimes God doesn't, here's what I, I want you to catch. God doesn't want to just meet your need. God wants to give you a whole new way of living. He doesn't want to just put a Band-Aid on something. He wants to open up the door to a way that you can experience life eternal, that you can set your clock by a new time zone. He wants to not just meet a need. He wants to open up a brand new way of living. So would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Just take an opportunity right here just to ask yourself this question. What have I done with Jesus? If he is who he says he is, everything changes. Jesus changes everything. Jesus died on the cross. In that moment, he took your sin, he took my sin. He took our place. We deserve death. We can't enter the presence of a holy God carrying sin, but Jesus said, I'll take that sin. And he offers it to us freely. We can't buy it, we can't work for it, we can't be good enough. He offers it to us freely. And then he rose from the dead. He conquered death, hell, the grave, sin, sickness. All in that act, he took the keys away from the enemy. And now he gives a great invitation to anyone who would say yes to following him. He doesn't ask you to clean up, but what he does ask you to do is simply lay down your old life and take up a brand new life to walk away from the old and to step into the new. And maybe you're here today and you say, I, I don't know if I've done that, but I know that I need to. That feeling that you're feeling on the inside is, is Jesus knocking on the door. It's the Holy Spirit stirring your heart right now. Maybe at one point you were following Jesus, but if you were honest today and somebody asked you, you know, what, what are you doing right now? You just have to say, you know, I know that I'm not on the road to following Jesus. You know, you can come back to the Father's house today. You may think you have to make up all the ground that you worked so hard to get away from God before you can come back, but that's simply not true. All you have to do is turn around and the loving arms of a loving Father are wide open for you. That's called grace. You can't earn your way back. You simply have to receive it. So if that's you today, Auditorium 1, Auditorium 2, even online, you can participate right now. We're just simply gonna take a step of faith and how we do that, the Bible says, how we enter into this new life, how we set our clocks by new time zone is we simply, what we believe in our heart, what's happening inside of you right now, we simply confess out with our mouth. We simply say that out loud. You may not know how to do that, but let me help you do that. And I'm gonna have everybody do that with us here in just a minute. But if you say, Pastor Sean, that's me. 
please pray for me. I need to say yes to Jesus. Would you all over the building, auditorium one, auditorium two, just lift up your hand. Let me just see it. And more importantly, let God see it by faith. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just hold it up. Thank you over here. Back there. Okay, back there. Right back there. I see you back there. Our hands all over the building. Thank you. What we're going to do right now is I'm going to help you pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's just simply a starting point for us to say yes. It's just a place for us to start. And I'm going to add this is such a powerful time. I'm going to ask everyone to pray it with us. Pray it out loud with me. Would you repeat this after me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking my place, for paying the price for all of my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead and I surrender my old life. I receive a brand new life in you. Lord, I pray for those who said yes, many for the first time, I believe, to saying yes to following you. I pray that they'd have a revelation by your spirit right now that their old life is truly gone. That everything up until this moment is in the past and you have wiped it all away. And just like that old song says, the blood of Jesus, the blood that was spilled on the cross, it washes white as snow. And that they have brand new spiritual DNA on the inside of them right now. They truly are a brand new person. They've come out of darkness into light. They've come out of death and have been made alive. Lord, by revelation, I pray that you would do that in them, that they'd have a revelation of who they are now in you, in Jesus' name. Oh man, that's so good. Can we give Jesus some praise right now for that? All right, right now, we're going to, just what an opportunity to step right from that into receiving communion. You have the elements right there on your seats in that little container there. And I just wanna remind us of what that's all about, that the juice represents the blood that was spilled, the power in the blood of Jesus. And as we receive that here in a moment, I want you to take a moment and to remind yourself of how powerful that moment is. The bread represents the body that was broken for us on the cross, that he paid the price not just for our sins, but for our healing, for took away our sickness, all of those things that he was broken so that we could be made whole. And in that moment, He said, it is finished. And then he wrapped it all up by rolling away the stone. What an amazing thing. So we're gonna take a moment during this song and we're just gonna acknowledge that. Take a moment, even ask yourself, even if you've been following Jesus for some time, what am I doing with Jesus right now? What is my time, what is my clock set to? What's the clock in my heart set to? And what an amazing time just to reset your clock. So Jesus, we come before you right now. We're so thankful for what you've done on the cross. We're so thankful that there is an empty tomb and we're reminded of your victory, of what you have done for us in the past, of what you are going to do because you are coming back and what you're doing actively in our lives and in our hearts right now. And the victory we share with you, even though it may seem dark right now, we've set our clocks to a morning this coming and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's receive.